Tonight, we're not going to be doing a Garden of Amunah class. As you saw in the invite, we're going to be doing a Rosh Chodesh, part of the Rosh Chodesh Energy Series. And we're going to be talking about the energy of the month of Chodesh Tishrei. Rosh Chodesh is the first day of the month. The first day of the month of Tishrei is also the first day of the Jewish year, which is Rosh Hashanah. Interesting, I will point out to you, and we're going to get into this soon in the class, but I do want to point out to you that the Jewish months in the Torah, there are no names for them. They work by numbers. And on the first day of the seventh month, and on the 15th day of the first month, Interesting enough, research will tell you that it is very probable that the names of the Jewish months, the Jewish calendar year months, were actually not given by Jews. What makes it super interesting is that nevertheless, we will find in holy books that there is deep insights to the names of the Jewish calendar months. For example, right now we're in the month of Elul, and you'll find in Code of Jewish Law, many different verses to the acronym of Elul. Inu leyado v'samtilach, that's the four words, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, which teaches us the importance of studying Torah in this month. There's Ani ledodi vidodi li, I am unto my beloved, my beloved is unto me, which teaches us about the importance of prayer. Then there's the one from the Megillah that talks about the Shalach Manus, which teaches us about the uh, importance of giving charity. So there's so many insights. So too with the month Tishrei, if you play around with the letters, you just reorganize the order of the letters of the month Tishrei, and you will have over there the word Reshit minus the Aleph. And in Hebrew that works because instead of the Aleph, you could put under the Reish the A sound, the two dots, the Tzerei, and it will read Reshit. So it's what we call a Chaser, it's not spelled out phonically completely because we're going to rely on the vowels. So we see that we play with the names, even though that they probably don't have Jewish sources, the uh, names of the Jewish calendar months, but nevertheless, Code of Jewish Law has a lot of that. Even Kislev, we play with the Kaslev, we have the Lamed Vav, the candles, 36, it goes on and on. We do a lot of that. The word Nisan means miracles, and so forth and so on. Ear, ear we've spoken about, has uh, two the meanings. Um, one is Aleph Ani, Yud Yud Hashem, Reish Rafaecha, I God will heal you. Another one is the uh, four legs to the chariot, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and Rachel. So it goes, we have a lot of insights. So let's put that on the side for a moment. We're going to get back to the insight, to the name of the month of, of uh, Tishrei, to give us an insight to the energy of it. But first I want to share with you a, a thought. I didn't see this thought written anywhere. I've thought about it a lot. You've heard from me before that I am constantly pushing my children and I watch with them a lot of science videos. Planet Earth, Blue Planet. Um, even when they were kids, we watched Max School Bus. Just the kids should learn an appreciation of science. Maimonides writes that if you don't have a knowledge of science, you can't love God. Because the Talmud tells us, sages tell us, how do you measure the strength of a person is by the rock he lifts. We can't really measure the strength of a person other than by the work of the person. So too, to understand God, it's very difficult to understand God. How can the finite understand the infinite? 
but by studying the work of God, we do have an insight to the kindness of God and all the other attributes of God. Studying science is a study of the work of God. So, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that actually piqued my interest when you watch these science videos is that the centerpiece, the centerpiece creature of all creations, which is why Rosh Hashanah is on the day it is. Rosh Hashanah is not the day, the first day of creation where God created light. That actually happened on the 25th of Elul. Rosh Hashanah is the day that Adam was created. The first Rosh Hashanah was actually Friday, not Sunday. Yet we refer to it as the beginning, the first day of your works, because the centerpiece of all creation was the human being. The human was given freedom of choice. The human is the purpose and mission of creation. So it becomes very interesting that when you watch science videos, when you study animals, you find that the, the human being, the most complex, the brightest, the most gifted, the centerpiece of all creatures, for some reason, in its youngest stage, is dependent longer than any other creature. The cult, the C-O-L-T, the cult the, uh, of the horse, has, I think, very short period of time for it to get up on its legs, or the mother will have to walk away from it because it won't survive. And this goes on and on. You watch any other animal, any creature, and you will see that the period of infanthood on which it is completely dependent is very, very short compared to the human being. The human being goes through the longest process of being dependent. And I've always asked myself, why, why, why? There's got to be a reason to this. I'm going to suggest to you my own reason, and that will be the diving board into tonight's exploration of the energy of the month of Tishrei. It is my personal belief that the reason why the human being has the longest period of dependency of all creatures is because the human being more the most of any other creature will need its subconscious self to survive life, to fulfill its purpose and mission. The subconscious is developed in that infanthood of total dependency. It's that where it gets its subconscious absorption of unconditional love from the parents, it is there where it learns trust. By the way, I was actually amazed when I saw that the reason why it's so important to play with children, peekaboo, is to develop trust. Because to a child, when you leave the room, you've left planet Earth. They don't understand you've left the room and come back. And so too when you cover yourself. It's being able to develop a child. Yeah, I read this in the parenting book. It's uh, able to help a child perceive that you go and you come back. They can learn to trust. They don't panic. Oh my God, what happened to my parent? They just died. They just disappeared. No, peekaboo. Gone, back. So what happens is in this infanthood, we're developing the most fundamental skills that a human being will actually need. So even though it's so important that the human being trains the conscious set of intellects, emotions, and everything else, the subconscious of a human being is extremely important and it will always be the core soul of our conscious and everything that we're going to pull through in life. 
With that said, remember that. Now let's go back to the month of Tishrei. The word Reshit, I told you. Rosh. Rosh Hashanah. We talk about the head. Not the beginning, not the first, not the onset, the head. What is unique about calling this month Reshit from the word Rosh? What is uh, unique about calling Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah and not Tchilat Hashanah, the head of the year and not the beginning of the year? To understand that, we need to understand that everything in the works of spirituality is evolution. It always starts from the point of simplicity and from there creates a pyramid beneath it. For example, our sages tell us time works that way. The evolution of time is that 354 days, the lunar calendar, this year actually is a 354-day year on the lunar calendar, the Jewish calendar year. 354 days exist within Rosh Hashanah. I would say 24 hours, but as you know, Rosh Hashanah is 48 hours. It's a two days. Even in Israel, everywhere, unlike all the other holidays. And my mind just explains why. But what's important to us understand is that within these 48 hours, you have the entire 354 days of the year. And I'm going to explain it soon. Let's just move on. From that, three, from that 48 hours, from the day or days of Rosh Hashanah, and the reason why I call it singular, not just plural, is because we're taught that Rosh Hashanah is called Yoima Arichta. The 48 hours is not two days, it's actually one long day. But be it as it may, that one period then goes ahead and spreads out into 12 Rosh Chodesh. When I say 12 Rosh Chodesh, again, I'm not being specific because sometimes you have a two-day Rosh Chodesh, you have a one-day Rosh Chodesh, so I'm calling Rosh Chodesh as a unit, whether it be a two-day or a one-day. So the way time works is there's the one source, that one cell that of time, the 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah, then that spreads out into 12 Rosh Chodesh. Each Rosh Chodesh will then spread out into the four or five Shabbatot, of that month. Remember, you can either have four or five, depending on what day of the week it started. And then from each Shabbat, it will spread out into the seven individual days of the week. So you have the one day, the 48 hour long day, quote unquote, Yom Richter of Rosh Hashanah, which encompasses within it 354 days. More specifically, it encompasses within it the 12 Rosh Chodeshes. Each one of those Rosh Chodesh encompasses within it the four or five Shabbatot. Each one of those four or five Shabbatot encompasses within it the seven individual days. That's why it is called Rosh and not beginning. You see, when you talk about the beginning, the onset, that is only one, which is the beginning of many. That's not what Rosh Hashanah is. Rosh Hashanah is not the first day of 354 days. But it is also the one day that encompasses within it all 354 days. 
just like Rosh Chodesh is the one day that encompasses within it all the four or five Shabbatot, which encompasses within it the seven days. That means Rosh Chodesh already captures within it all 29 or 30 days, depending what kind of month it is, because the lunar cycle is exactly 29 and a half in Pika, there's a machloket, an argument over it, exactly how much it is, the uh, Yud Beis Shatzag, which you'll always hear they announce by the blessing of the new month, um, that it's going to be exactly in this much particles of a minute. But let's not get carried away there. Let's just talk about it captures within it, spreads out into the Shabbatot. The Shabbat, each one captures within it seven days and spreads out to the seven days. Now we'll understand why it's called Rosh, the head. Because your brain, the head, your brain, has your entire body, each organ, and the facility of each organ mapped out within it. The power of sight is actually not in your eyeball, not in the retina, not even in the optic nerve. The power of sight is in specific brain cells which control that. So actually, and, and we do this study, and it's very important for us to do this study so we can help stroke victims, we actually are trying to map out the brain to know exactly which brain cells control which faculties. So there are certain brain cells which control the auditory. They don't just control it, they are the power of hearing. So too we have these certain brain cells which are the power of sight. And we know that. We know that when, God forbid, someone has a stroke, depending on which side of the brain, knowing what it'll affect, which faculties it'll affect. How come some people have a stroke, they can't talk, some could talk, some have lose total mobility of a side, some don't. It all depends on which brain cells were affected by the stroke, by the blood. So what happens here is that in the head, you actually have the entire body on a far more sublime level. The power of sight within the brain is far more subliminal than the power of sight within the optic nerve, which is far more subliminal than the power of sight in the retina. But now you understand that, it, basically speaking, we have three stages. We have the way it is in the brain, we have the way it is in the nervous system, and then we have the way it is in the individual organ. So if someone has a problem with their sight, there can be one of three issues. I'm just being very general. I'm sure the, the doctor will tell you far more than that. But just on a general level, there could be a problem with the physical eyeball, cataracts, retina scratched, retina detaching. You could have a problem, Gaffey, with the optic nerve. You have a growth on Gaffey, not you or anyone. But you ha there is a growth on the optic nerve, causing you to have black spots. Or you could have, God forbid, not you, but a person could have, God forbid, a stroke, where now you're affecting or a, a brain in a damage, you know, a zets in the head, an accident, God forbid, which that causes a problem. Very different, by the way, very, very different. Because the higher up the ladder you go, the more difficult it is for doctors to intervene at any level. We don't know not yet how to regenerate brain cells. We're just trying to learn how to teach victims to go ahead and teach other brain cells to take over jobs. The optic nerve, we don't know how to reconnect nerves yet. Unfortunately, we have people in accidents, spinal injury, we don't know how to fix nerves yet. We're far more advanced today with the operations that we can do on the retina and everything. The higher up the go you go, the more spiritual, the more subliminal, the more 
I'm not looking for the high, the right word that we're looking for here, because it's very important for what we're going to talk about tonight, for what we are talking about tonight. So you understand that on Rosh Hashanah, on that day of Rosh Hashanah, exists already the 18th of the month of Cheshvan. Just like in your brain already exists the cells that control your eyes. The power of sight. On a deeper level, it exists within the brain because it exists within the soul. The soul has the power of sight. We refer to the three intellects, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Wisdom is the power of sight. It's artistic. Bina is the power of hearing. Hearing doesn't work in one, you see an entire picture in one shot. You hear word by word. You can't hear an entire sentence. You can't even hear two words in one shot. So that's more than methodological. That's bina, dissecting, analytical. That's hearing. And because it exists in the soul, therefore it exists in the brain, therefore it exists in the nervous system, therefore it exists in the body. Every individual day of the year, we're dealing with a specific individual day of the year. Not so when it, we talk about the month of Tishrei. How much more so not so when we talk about Rosh Hashanah. In the holy books, and the holy teachings, the month of Tishrei is called Chodesh Klali. In Hebrew you have Klal, a general, Prat, a detail, a specific detail. Every day, every holiday, every experience in the month of Tishrei is not an individual experience of an individual day. Rosh Hashanah, when it comes to acceptance, acknowledgement, commitment, the moda'ani that we say every morning, we thankfully acknowledge. Rosh Hashanah is the moda'ani of the entire year. So even though we say it every morning, on Rosh Hashanah when we say it, we're actually saying a 354-day moida'ani. It's like in the brain, if you can heal the situation in the brain, then it's much easier to later have that spill over into the nervous system and into the organs of your body. So too, when you're dealing with Rosh Hashanah, when you're dealing with the month of Tishrei, you're dealing on a brain level. That's why I introduced this class with the concept of the conscious and the subconscious. Because if you have an issue in your conscious paradigm, in your conscious set of emotions, that's far less troublesome than if you're dealing with an issue in your subconscious mind. There's one thing if you come to a psychologist and you say, listen, this and this is my issue. This and this happened to me as a child, and because this and this happened to me, it triggered off this and this, and therefore, till this very day, I'm afraid of public speaking. I shared with you once a story about, I read from a psychologist, that uh, there was a girl, that, that actually a woman that came to him as a client, that abnormal fear of public speaking. And it was bothersome to her, it was interfering her life. So she went to a psychologist, and they brought it back down to a simple situation. After much, much, much therapy, they were able to peel off the layers until they got to the point where she was actually the daughter of a single mom who was struggling very hard to make sure that her daughter can have everything she needs. It's very difficult when you're a single parent. 
and uh, she was stressed out one day and she came home and this little girl was singing and she had one of those uh, amazing wonderful migraine headaches and she walked in and she just didn't mean it but she reacted to the girl would you stop singing you have such an annoying voice that later developed into a woman who was completely paralyzed in public speaking when something happens on the subconscious level we're in far more worrisome position than when it happens on a conscious level in the world of education the Rebbe would teach us over and over be extremely careful with a child because if you scratch a tree that's one issue you scratch the seed we got much bigger issues I heard this story personally from the person who it happened to that the Rebbe was talking to the father and the son they were in a private audience and the Rebbe asked the son to say the Shema and he told the son that if the boy says the Shema that the Rebbe will give him a coin the boy said the Shema he didn't cover his eyes and the Rebbe went to tell the father because obviously it was the father who was teaching the son to cover or not to cover the eyes the father and the mother and the Rebbe went on to talk about the importance of why you cover your eyes by Shema Shema is an exclamation and a of um, faith and eyes seeing is perceiving and therefore when we say the Shema we cover our eyes because our faith is even when we're in the dark and we can't see then the Rebbe stopped what he was doing and the Rebbe told the father I need to give your son the coin now because if not he's gonna feel like I lied to him I told him if he would say it so even though the Rebbe was going to give it to him anyway I'll finish with the parents and no in a, in a child's mind it doesn't work that way you told me you're gonna give it to me I said the Shema and you didn't give it to me so the Rebbe stopped the conversation took out the coin gave it to the kid and then went back to talk to the father and explain to the father why he's interrupting the conversation another thing you learn and male teachers by the way are far more horrendous with this than females are children because they deal with the subconscious level do not understand cynicism there's a blank look on a kid's face when you make a cynical remark to him or her and then when they unfortunately get used to it they stop having the blank look that's not a pretty thing that's actually a very sad thing it's very interesting but if you do study psychological studies you'll notice that your subconscious mind has no no idea of what's virtual and what's real the famous story they'll tell you in books which deal with anxiety and fears and especially the one that's called cybernetics a famous book that was written it will tell you the famous story of the girl the woman who walked out of the uh, shopping store the Publix the Winn-Dixie's and as she's walking to the car she feels heels behind her click clack she picks up speed the heels footsteps pick up speed now she's already all petrified she's a beautiful woman alone in a dark parking alley parking lot that night and now her heart's already pounding she's breaking out into a sweat physically she's breaking out into a sweat and all of a sudden she hears her friend saying hey hey Jane Jane she turns around and says, don't you ever do that to me it was her friend 
the psychological subconscious mind has zero understanding of virtual fear or real fear. Interesting when you connect that to a child, not having any understanding between a cynical remark and an honest, straightforward remark. So when you're dealing with the subconscious mind, the simplicity and the purity of a subconscious mind, when you're dealing with not the little tree, but the seed, we need to be far more careful, far more simplistic, far more pure in how we handle it. Because a little drop of dust there will cause far more chaos than a huge stain on your conscious self. The energy of Rosh Hashanah is the energy of the subconscious of the year. We deal with all 354 days of the year in the 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah on a very subconscious level. We deal with the month of Tishrei, which is called Reshit from the word Rosh. It is called a month. I told you the Chodesh HaKlali. It is not a particular individual month just. It also is the Klali, the general month, which encompasses within it all 12 months of the year. And therefore, the energy of the month of Tishrei is the energy of the subconscious. It needs to be so, it is so, in the realm of time, and it needs to be so in the realm of soul and in the realm of our service to God. Understand that the Kavanah that you have on Rosh Hashanah is not like the Kavanah, the intentions, the emotional experience and focus of your daily prayer. What takes place in this month is very different than what takes place of every other month. In this month, it is extremely important that we drop the human fault of always being complex, always dealing with ulterior motives. Because on the subconscious level, that's not tolerable. On the subconscious level, we need to approach with white gloves. We need to approach with purity of heart, simplicity of mind, and openness of the soul to simple acceptance and oneness of Hashem. So what we're going to be focusing on this month is to drop the... The word that we use in, in, in when we talk about this, the, the connivingness, the, the ulterior motive, the, the manipulation, drop that for the month. Cynicism, all that has to go out the window for this month. In the month of Tishrei, we're not negotiating with God. It's not tit for tat. Even on Rosh Hashanah when we pray, for our sustenance, we pray, we make resolutions. It's not the tit-for-tat negotiation. Okay, God, you want this, I'll give you that. That's not the time for it. It's not the time to be cynical in your relationship with God. 
It's not, your, it's not the time to be manipulative in your relationship with God. It's the time to shed, 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 shed. Shed layer after layer after layer. And that's why the preparatory month of Elul to Rosh Hashanah is so important. It is defined by compassion. It is very difficult to shed layers when you're not basking in the aura of compassion. When you shed layers and you're opening yourself up to nakedness, the slightest breeze will feel extremely uncomfortable. The month of Elul is the month of the rose. It's the month of compassion so that we can shed and prepare ourselves for the month of Tishrei. Because by the month of Tishrei, we will need to have already shed the complexity of the mind, the complexity and chaos and confusion of the emotions to be able to open up for the simplicity of the soul in its relationship in the simplicity of Hashem. So while there is quote-unquote systems in place and we learn about these systems, we talk about the ten sfirot, you've heard me talk about that a lot, the ten emanations through which the simple, colorless, formless, without definition, infinite light shines through those very finite different labels and forms and images of emanations. Wisdom is not understanding. Understanding is not wisdom. Love is not awe. Awe is fear. Fear is not love. And yada yada. Those exist. But on the month of Tishrei, we want to get beyond that. In the month of Tishrei, what we want to connect with is the simplicity of the infinite light and even beyond that. In the month of Tishrei, we don't want to be playing the manipulation of, well, this is a segula for this, and that's a segula for that, and I'm going to pick and choose which mitzvahs I do, because this mitzvah I heard is very important for sustenance, and this mitzvah is the ultimate thing for finding a shidduch, and so forth and so on. Not this month. It all is true. It all exists. But don't approach it that way. The approach of the month of Tishrei is to shed the walls of protection, to shed the walls of manipulation, to shed the walls of complexity that we put up to protect our fragile, quote-unquote, and that's a wrong word because the essence of our soul is the furthest thing from fragile, but it is on a very, very subliminal level where any little infringement would be like a scratch on a seed. So we'll call it fragile because that's what we picture it in our human mind. But it's far from fragile. It is the most omnipotent piece of us. But in its ultimate purity and zero tolerance level, we call it fragility. But that's what we're dealing with in the month of Tishrei. And that's why the high holiday prayers is not where you come with your Hanukkah list and start negotiating with God. It's not where you start manipulating, well, I know that this chapter of Psalms works for this and that works for that. Just sit down like a true son of daughter or daughter, a young son or a young daughter of God, open up the Tehillim and talk to God. 
Talk from a very pure place. On Simchas Torah, dance from a very pure place. You'll notice that everything through the high holidays is all focused on the subconscious, on the very pure. Simchas Torah is more focused about dancing with a closed Torah than opening up the Torah and giving complex insights. Why so? Why is the joyous, the most joyous day of the year, Simcha Torah? It's all about Simcha of the Torah. Torah is an intellect. So why don't we give deep, complex, beautiful poetry of explanations and insights to the Torah? And the answer is because the month of Tishrei is simplicity, it's purity. And therefore, don't open up the Torah, keep it closed, keep it tied, and let every single Jew have an opportunity to just dance with the Torah beyond an intellectual connection, but an essential connection, an essence connection of a Jew and his Torah, Torah and her Jew. The same with the sukkah. That level of faith, entering into the sukkah, leaving the protection of your home. It's not about sticking part of yourself into it. The law demands of us, the way you live in your house, live in your sukkah. Digest the faith. Absorb the faith. Throw yourself into the faith. Enter into the sukkah. Yom Kippur, we're talking about the high priest in the Holy of Holies. We're talking about the most center existence of all. The unique oneness of soul, the unique oneness of time, the unique oneness of place. The high priest, the center oneness of souls. Anyam Kippur, the center oneness of time. In the Holy of Holies, the center oneness of place. The entire month of Tishrei is demanding of us to once again shed the complex cynical, manipulative, conniving, negotiating, tit-for-tat relationship that we have with God. It's asking us once again to find the subconscious seed within us, knowing that when we do that, be very careful, don't play there. That's not a place you play with. It's from that approach that we hear the sound of the chauffeur and we say, rain upon us, R-E-I-G-N, God, become our king. The king's relationship with the subject is not one of talent, not one of, well, what I want for you is to think of me. No, the subject in its entirety is property of the king. I know words that doesn't sound politically correct in a world of democracy, but that's what it is. The definition of making a blessing over a king is only upon a king that can take a life without having to answer for it. You were in the throne room, you made a little crumb with the nose, off with your head. Because the subjects are property of the king. Just like soldiers are property of the United States government. You mess with a soldier, you kill a soldier, you didn't kill an individual civilian. You messed with United States of America. Because a soldier gives up his civilian identity. So too, when we ask God to become our king, 
we don't tell God we're willing to give everything to you, but I still got an issue with the Sunday afternoon lobster at, uh, you know, whatever it is. The entire month of Tishrei, because it's on such a deep level, everything is to be or not to be. Because there's no complexity. It's the one-celled being. So either it's to be or not to be. And that's why this month is so deep, so sensitive, so pure. And don't get in the way of it by approaching it through complexity. Enter into Rosh Hashanah with the simplicity of a child being embraced by the unconditional love of a parent. Avinu, our father, Malkeinu, our king. Both of them are relationships in which totality exists. You can't be part kid, part not. <laughs> Either you are the offspring or you're not the offspring. Today, in governments, you have dual citizenships. Kings didn't have that. You either belong and serve this king, or you belong and serve to that king. You couldn't belong and serve to two kings. There was no dual citizenship. Because monarchy doesn't allow for that relationship. The entire experience of the month of Tishrei is that beautiful. It touches the place of your being where there is no 50%, 75%, it's 100%. And it's 100% pure. And it's 100% simple. Just like all the beauty you see in a human infant. The purity, the trust, the simplicity, the truthfulness. Ever notice that children that weren't tainted by adults do not understand at all sexism, racism, just doesn't exist. Simple children, if parents didn't teach them that that color of skin is no good, that type of person is no good, that nationality is no good, that gender is no good, simple kids don't understand that. You bring them into a room, automatically they're all playing and laughing. Because it's just the world of simplicity and purity. That's what the month of Tishrei is all about. It's the brain center. So powerful, yet so sensitive. And that's how we have to approach it. So the energy of the month of Tishrei is the energy of the deepest subconscious of our existence. What this translates in serving God is, drop the negotiations, stop trying to always be ahead of the game, stop trying to manipulate God Throughout do that mitzvah because I heard the sages say that this mitzvah does this and this mitzvah does that. Stop. Drop your guard. Just drop, shed, shed the complexity layers. Stop trying to figure out which prayer works for what and which uh, chapter should I say, Rabbi, and this is my issue. And this year I want to find a shidduch, so which chapter should I say in Rosh Hashanah? And this year I want to pay, you know, pay up my mortgage. Is there any special mitzvah or is there a special fruit that you eat by the Rosh Hashanah table? Because that means that you're going to pay your mortgage off this year. Stop, stop, stop. Does it all exist? Yes. But don't go there. Go to there where all this comes forth from. The simplicity, the purity. I want to close with the following. 
In the world of Kabbalah, time is not a line. Time is an onion. See, because in a line, you go away from one spot to get to the other spot. In an onion, you just grow a new level on top of the first level. You see, we never stopped being pure kids. We never stopped, we never stopped being mischievous kids. We never stopped being interesting singles. We never stopped being newlyweds. We never stopped being that first-time parent that holds the first child right after the birth. We never stopped being that father who has to now deal with a teenager who's going through issues. We never stop any of this because it's an onion. It's a layer upon a layer upon a layer upon a layer. And at any given moment, the human being can go back to being that infant in the bosom of their mother. At any given moment, the human being can be the ever curious, energetic child. So when we talk about Rosh Hashanah, the month of Tishrei, shedding layers, I mean what I'm saying. Because each one of us here is an onion that has layers and layers and layers and layers. We still have everything we've ever had, we still have. It's just to protect ourselves because of experiences. And not just to protect ourselves, it's because we need to have layers. You don't want to walk around the streets naked. But there are places in your house where you're naked. On Rosh Hashanah, we metaphorically get naked, shed beyond the consciousness, hear the subconscious, and draw that into our conscious. No, we can't sit Rosh Hashanah, close our eyes, and just meditate and shed. We need to say the words. But from where are we saying the words? We're allowing that subconscious simplicity and purity to flow through, become the life force, the experience of all of our consciousness. Yeah, we're going to do every single thing. We're going to eat the fruit which is a, a schut and a, a sigula for this and for that and for that and for this. But that's just the outer shell in which the simplicity and purity of our subconscious flows. It's a huge challenge the month of Tishrei. Good luck, guys.